Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. It's amazing that Pete asked me to pray right after the election. Thanks, brother. (laughs) I got to say that this has been the strangest year I have ever experienced in my whole life. It is so weird. There's things that are happening. Like, I walk down the street sometimes and I see people in masks. It's almost like, what has happened to this country? And now with this pandemic and uh, the election, and even though the election is over, it's still not settled. And so many people lose their peace because of what's going on around us. When Pete has been sharing over these weeks about what's been going on and where the church stands and things of this nature that's going on around us, we need to see that the church is other. It is not this country. Even though America is a great place to be in, I wouldn't move away because of things that are going on. But the matter is, is this. This is not our home. We are sojourners here. We're passing through. But we are also ambassadors for Christ. We are here for a purpose. And one thing that has not changed over all this time God's purpose is still the same. It is still the thing that God wants to use us in. Like my my granddaughter saying, I don't know why he needs me, but he wants me. And it's the same thing with you because he uses his church to do what needs to be done. We cannot allow what's going on around us to distract us. The enemy uses that as a ploy to get us off track of being those ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, in the third chapter, it talks about purpose, and he mentions this, this thing, the mystery. This mystery that's been hidden for ages. No one knew what's going to happen. No one knew what, what this redeemer would look like. No one did except the Father. And now we are privileged We are privileged to be part of this mystery. Christ Jesus come, the Son of God, comes to save the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We are part of that. The Old Testament and all the saints before us didn't know what it was like to actually know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, everyone who has come to faith in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called to this purpose. You belong to him, and he loves to use us, the church, to do what needs to be done. This is a great purpose. God did not save us to keep us from going to hell, even though it's a great thing. But God has so much more. There's something else God wants to do in this church, especially now as we see things going on. I I, I don't know. 
I don't know what's going to happen in these next years. We don't know. But his purpose remains. I just want to read something in Ephesians. This is the first scripture we have here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you see those two words up there? Works and walk. It's action. It's something that we do. It's part of what we do. You know, we we are his workmanship. That means God preordained us that we were going to be saved. We were going to come into this, into his purpose, as it were. So in Christ, we were created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So God has a plan for us to walk in. Are we walking in it? Are we doing that very thing that God wants us to do? This new birth was all on account of what Christ has done. Now we move into the purpose. Now we walk into what God would have us to do. But sometimes I see people who've come to know Christ and all they do, it seems like they're in this inner tube floating down eternity river until they get to the shores of the promised land, doing nothing, not being those ambassadors, not doing what God would have them to do, just satisfied with salvation. That's boring. That is not what God have us to do. That is something that we just, I mean, you don't do anything. I hear people who float the river. All they do is just float down the river. And nothing happens. There's nothing being done. I would be bored. I'd get off the float, walk around for a while. But we have to do something. We have to be a part of this work. And today, just to show us a little bit more about this matter of being called into the purpose of God, I'm going to talk about two guys. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Just to show you that it was good then and it's still good now. And the first guy I want to talk about is Moses. We know that Moses was from the tribe of Levi. And he was born in Egyptian captivity. And at the time, Pharaoh became fearful of what was going on because the Hebrews were growing in number. And and it made him fearful. So he went to the midwives and says, every time a Hebrew woman is ready to give birth, if it's a male, kill it. But listen to these words. He says this. The Hebrew women feared God and didn't do it. Remember that. Fear. And we'll talk about that a little bit later and talk about what it means to fear God. So we know the story as Moses is born, she watches over her son for three months, can't hide him anymore, and she decides to put him in that basket we know and covers it with pitch and sends it down the river. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in this basket. And she raises him in Egyptian royalty, as it were, in Pharaoh's household, even though he was a Hebrew. And as time went on and he grew up in this thing, there came a time when Moses was seeing a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. And Moses says he looked both ways and he killed him. And then, to make the story a little shorter, he runs because he's fearful of what they do because Pharaoh found out about it. So he takes off and he goes to a town called Midian. And in Midian, he gets married. And now here is the story where it begins. Moses now is shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's flock on the west side of the wilderness in a, right by Mount Horeb, which we'll, we'll find out later on is Mount Sinai where Moses is given the Ten Commandments and the law. 
So he's over there, and he's shepherding the flock. And as he's shepherding the flock, we know the story. He comes upon this burning bush. And this burning bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And this is what he says. I must turn and see this marvelous sight. I just want to just stop for a second to tell us something here, especially even in the church. The burning bush never changed Moses. It wasn't the burning bush that changed him into God's, what God wanted him to do. I remember there was a girl who I worked with in care flight, and she was going through a real t- tough time in her life. And she knew that I got, went to church, and, and she just said, hey, could you take me to church? Could I go to church? I said, yeah, come on. She even heard me preach one time, and she came here. But this is what happened. When things got better in her life, she just left. It was almost as if this was the burning bush and she just walked by it and never turned to it, was never attracted to it. But when things got better, she went her own way and she started to live a life just like she left it be- lived before. And there was no turning. There are people who come to church and there's no turning in them. Even though God is drawing them, there's no turning. But now here's Moses and he turns to see this marvelous sight. And it says this. You know what changed Moses? God speaks. And he sees him turn and he says two things. The very first thing, he calls him by name. He doesn't just call him Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. You see, when God repeats things in the word of God, when he says, like even in the New Testament, Jesus says, truly, truly, it means pay attention. I'm about to do something. And here he is, says, Moses, Moses, just like he said to Abraham, Abraham, and Samuel, and Samuel, and here he is. He's speaking. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. He doesn't know who he is. Who's speaking to him? He just says, here I am. Let's read this next scripture here. Then he said, do not come here. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You know what happens? After he calls Moses, the first thing he he mentions now is that he says, don't come any closer for the ground which you are standing on is holy ground. When God calls you, we need to know that he is holy. You see... God is holy all the time, and when he comes, and when you come into his presence, we can't always think, God is so loving and caring. No, no, there's a balance. There's a balance between holiness and his love. There's grace and mercy, yet he is still holy. And he needed to let Moses know, don't come any closer until I get to tell you who I am. And take off the sandals off your feet. You see, in those days, it was a sign of humility to take your shoes off. And that most servants in those days walked around barefoot because they were humble and and there was humility in their lives. And now here he is. He says, don't come closer. And then he says, remove your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. God is holy. And when you get called into this purpose, it's a holy purpose. It's not my purpose. It's his purpose. So now we get called into it. Now he introduces himself. 
All right? He calls him. He shows him his character, holiness. And now he says who he is. First he says, I'm the God of your father, with a small f. That father means he was re- his father was a Le- from the tribe of Levi. So I'm the God of your father, but I'm also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was trying to tell Moses, you know what? I'm not a new God. I'm not something different from the past, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God who spoke to Abraham back then, it's me who's speaking to you now. Things didn't change. He is the same God. And then it said, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look into the face of God. See, fear is the beginning of wisdom. When God speaks, even when in the back in the days of Abraham, he was fearful to look into the face of God because he began to see God for who he was. A holy God, a majestic God, a God full of power yet loving. This is who Moses doesn't want to look into his face. That fear of the beginning of wisdom. That fear is the fountainhead of wisdom. Wisdom comes from first seeing God for who he is, and then wisdom comes in. And you see his majesty. It's a sobering thing for us to see God for who he is. Do you remember in the book of Revelation... That John, the disciple whom God, Jesus loved, would rest his head on the breast of Christ. And they had an intimate relationship. They knew each other very, very well. And then on the Isle of Patmos, even though he knew Christ, he didn't know him as the resurrected Christ. And as he is beginning to see him, he says, and I turned around to hear this voice. And this voice that was speaking behind me. And I looked. And there he was clothed in white linen with a golden sash, eyes of flames of fire, and out from his mouth came a two-edged sword. Oh my gosh, he says he fell down like a dead man. This revelation changed him. Now God is able to speak the book of Revelation to him, and he begins to speak to him, and he sees him for who he is. He, he was so fearful, even though he knew him, but he didn't know the creator, the, the awesomeness of who he was. And now God is going to use him in that. And the same thing here. He says to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what? 400 years ago, I spoke to Abraham and said this. Your people, my people are going to be in captivity for 400 years. And then I will come and deliver them. Moses, it's 400 o'clock. It's time. I'm coming to deliver them. God reveals his purpose. A little passionate here, sorry. And, and God says, I've seen the affliction of my people. See, God's not blinded. He knows what's going on. If you feel afflicted today because of the world situation, God sees it. Like Pete said, he's still in control. He's still on the throne. When we become fearful, he kind of snickers and says, hey, I'm still here. I'm right on the throne. I haven't changed. I got control over this whole thing. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of Egypt and bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey in the land of the Canaanite and the Jebusite and and all the ites. He's coming in there. He's coming to deliver them. 
And let's read this next scripture here. This is what he says to Moses. Moses sees that God is going to do this very thing. Doesn't know what's going to happen next. And he says, come now, Moses. And I will send you to Pharaoh. So that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. You think Moses is a little nervous? That he's going to be sent to Pharaoh? All this time he's thinking that God's going to deliver him? Saints, listen. God calls us the same way. God decides to use us to do his purpose. And yet, the very next verse, you know what he says? He's nervous. Moses is nervous. And you know what he says? I will certainly be with you. He doesn't send us out without, being, without us being led. He's going to lead us. His purpose is that he's going to do it, but he's going to use us. Could God have delivered them all by himself? Yeah, he's pretty powerful. He could have sent the plagues and they would have known what happened. But God used Moses as he wants to use me and you. Now I want to talk about the next guy, Saul. Saul of Tarsus, not Saul the king, Saul of Tarsus. Saul had a purpose. And his purpose was that he was going to bring all the, these people who are in the way, that was they call Christians, part of the way, bring them and, and uh, bring them and, cap, and capture them and bring them back to Jerusalem, bound, so that they could be persecuted for what they're doing. That was Paul's idea of what his purpose would have been. Things are about to change. So he goes to the high priest and gets these letters that he's going to bring into Damascus. Now, Damascus had a great population of, of uh, believers there. So he wanted to go into Damascus with a letter of authority to say, I'm coming to get these people. So him and his guys start heading that way. And when he gets to, right before he gets to Damascus, on the way he meets the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read some scripture for us here, just a little bit, just so I'm not going to put it on the screen, but listen what happens here. <clears throat> As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly light from heaven flashed all around him. And he fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Other versions say, I am Jesus the Nazarene. See, he needed to tell Paul, Saul that I'm not the other, any other Jesus, but I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. So Paul needed to know for sure who this was. And right then and there, he must say, Jesus has risen from the dead if he's speaking to me. But get up and enter the city, and I will, it will be told to you what you must do. Then the men were traveling with him. Now he's blind. He's blind for three days. But the men there bring him into Damascus. And he says, and I'll tell you what's going to happen once you get there. But listen what happens now when he calls this man called Ananias. He is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a believer. You know how many times he calls his name? Once. 
He says, Ananias? And he says, here I am, Lord. And he said, the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now listen what Ananias says. Because he doesn't know what God is going to do. But Ananias answered it, said, Lord, I've heard many many things about this man, how much he harmed your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority of the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, listen to these words. Saul is a murderer. He is a one who is going to take and destroy, try to destroy what God is doing in these people. And he says this, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. <gasps> Imagine that. That this man, as evil as he was, he called him and said, you are chosen of me. That's what Ananias is going to tell him. For God is, for, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer on account of me. When we get called to this purpose too, we need to understand there's going to be suffering. When you share the gospel, you may be ostracized. You may be, people might persecute you for what you're doing. He lets you know beforehand, but it's still the purpose. And if we walk in the purpose, remember, certainly I will be with you. But in here, I just want to read this other part in here, which is pretty neat. When he's telling King Agrippa, Paul, of what happened to him, Listen to what it says here. After he tells him everything. And he says, and this is where he comes in, he says what the Lord says. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not to be the things that would, not only the things that you have seen, but things that I will show you and reveal myself to you. And I will rescue you from the people whom I'm sending you to. I'm sending you to the Jews, and I'm sending you to the Gentiles. They're going to try to get you, but I will rescue them from them. And this is where here is the purpose. Remember, everyone gets a purpose, all of us. But here's what he says to him. That you, I'm sending you, that you will open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness unto light and for the dominion of Satan to God. And they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. And that's the plan that God had for Saul. You know what Saul said at the end? He's speaking to the king. He's lived most of this time now when he comes before this king. And he said this one word. He said these words. King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Can we say that? Can we say that we have been following God just like Paul has been? And we could say, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Are we doing the things that God has asked us to do? Are we doing the very things? Are we being those ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ? He's calling us to that. And even when he called Saul, he called him twice. Remember, Saul, Saul. You know what it says in in the King James version of this? 
In, in Acts 9, it says in that when God spoke, he says he was trembling and astonished. Trembling because he's being spoken to and astonished that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's alive. Even though Moses saw himself as an insignificant shepherd and he was just a shepherd guy and then Saul who was full of himself he thought in his zeal he was doing the right thing yet God calls him. There's no excuse for anyone when it comes to the Lord's call. You could be a murderer or you can be a humble shepherd or doing whatever you do the call goes out. Are you turning Are you turning to have God speak to you? These were written for us who believe. But in order to live this purpose, and this is going to come to the, I think if you wanted to listen to anything that I said today, this is the part. So I'm going to say truly, truly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But in order for us to live in the purpose of God we need the wisdom of God because my wisdom and your wisdom is different than God listen to what it says here in Isaiah in the 55th chapter we all know these these verses here and he says For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is so different than us, but sometimes in our common sense, we think that we got it all together. In order to get the wisdom of God, you need to come to a point and see in your life that you are destitute when it comes to the wisdom of God. We need that wisdom. Our wisdom is anemic and it's insufficient to do his purpose. Without faith, it's impossible to, believe, uh, to, to satisfy God. He wants us to have faith. We need to trust in him in everything I do. I, you know, sometimes I find myself, when I'm sharing the gospel with people at work, even at this new place, I'm working part-time at Cabela's, when I'm there and I share the gospel, sometimes I start the same sentence every time for everyone I speak to. Hey, you go to church? Every time. I, I don't have another way to do it, but God is saying, everyone needs to be met where they are. In order for us to do that, the wisdom of God has to come in so that we speak life, that we're not going through these rituals that we do thinking that that's what it's all about. Here's James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it generously without reproach. Let me stop right there. First of all, he gives it generously. It's buckets. He's giving you wisdom generously and without reproach. That means without disapproval. God's not saying, oh, come on, you don't know that already? He is saying he gives it generously without reproach. And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like the surf and the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So here's the thing. We should not stagger at the promise. It's a promise of God. If God's word is true, which I believe that this word is true, cover to cover, if you believe it, and now God is saying through James, don't stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. In Psalm 111.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and those who follow his commandments have good understanding. It's a two, two ways. You know, you, be, it, you ask for wisdom, and he gives it to you. But when you're following his commandments, he gives you understanding. This is what God is wanting from us, from the church. Here's the problem with our wisdom. That's everybody. Me, you, everybody have a problem with this thing. We think it has to be practical. If this happens, then this is where God is probably leading me to go. Sometimes we put God in a box because we think he should act this way. And yet, many times, what we do is contrary to what God would have us to do. Jesus says this in 16th chapter of John's gospel. He says, the spirit takes what is mine and he declares it to you. He wants to speak into your life. Just believe. We have to believe in him. He is so truthful, so wanting you to be in his will. When you look at how God worked, Some things we'd say, what? When he went to Jericho and and they, they went around the city that last day seven times and the walls came down, what military leader would ever think, yeah, that's a good way to do it? It had nothing to do with what he did as much as he was looking for obedience. God was the one who pushed the walls down. It had nothing to do with the weirdness of it all. When Jesus came upon the man who was born blind and his disciples said, was it the sin of his mom or dad? How come he's blind? He says that God's glory, Jesus says, might be manifested. Here's God's wisdom. Jesus made spittle out of the dirt in the ground and rubbed that mud on his eyes. Any optometrists in here think that's a wise thing to do? but he rubbed mud in his eyes. Do you understand that God does things differently? And when we would get into communion with God on a regular basis, that wisdom comes out of us. I wrote this down. We must be so aware of our blindness when it comes to the wisdom, just like this blind man before we see the wisdom of God. We gotta see our blindness. Just like Saul was blinded for three days because he thought he saw what God wanted him to do. And God had a, when Ananias came to him and he said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And those scales came off his eyes. And he says, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now things change, Paul is being changed. 
One other story I'll tell you. I, I just started working at Cabela's a couple of months ago. And I wanted to get in the hunting department because I hunted for most of my life. And I loved to hunt. And I, and, I, you know, and I said, yeah, that's a good place. Put me in the hunting department. Within two days, I was in the weeds. I, people were asking me questions. I said, I ain't got a clue, brother. I said, I got to go get some help. So I go and find somebody because, you know, they're asking me about black powder and what primers to use and, and, and this and that. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, how about this reloading equipment? Not a clue. I didn't know that was part of hunting. Well, now here I am. But what I ended up doing is I started spending time with guys who were seasoned in that department, who knew exactly what needed to be done. And I listened to them. I watched how they talked to people. And before you know it, I began to talk just like them. And I got to find out things. And the more time I spent with them, the more time I knew about black powder and, and, um, and, and uh, what, uh, reloading. Getting stymied here. Um, but the thing is, is that what God shows me there is that I need to be in his presence. I need to listen to him. I need to be in his presence. It says in Proverbs in the second chapter, it says this, cry for discernment. He doesn't say ask. He says cry. Cry out for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. Seek it as for silver. Seek it as for a hidden treasure that you would get this wisdom. And then it says this, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. See, when it speaks about the knowledge of God, it speaks about intimacy. You know, when Isaiah saw God, he says, I saw him seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And you know what he says? I am undone. Because he saw himself for who he was, and now he sees the king of kings. And he says, I am undone. I have a man with unclean lips. When I was young in the Lord, I had such a hunger to know him. And when I began to seek him, I said, show me. I want to know you. And in my dream that night, I dreamt of this sheet, a pure white sheet, and it was the presence of God in my dream. It was perfect. And when I walked into the presence of God, into that sheet, what I began to see was my infirmities, the dirt that was on me. But the more I spent with him, the more time that I spent on that sheet, and I began to disrobe those things that were not of him. You know what? I began to mesh. And I became whiter. And I became part of the sheet where you couldn't tell me from God. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, that was then. <laughs> I've done some stupid things in my life. But I'm just saying, the more time we spend with him, the more you see your impurities. And the more you see impurities and you take them and you're obedient to get rid of those things in your life, you and Christ are now becoming one. Remember I told you about Ephesians 3 and the eternal purpose of God? Part of that eternal purpose is also in Romans. And I want us to read it. We love this scripture and everybody quotes it, but never one goes to the next verse. Listen. 
We know, here's the scripture, everybody knows it, right? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Remember that part. To those who are called according to his purpose. There's that purpose word again. Now here is the part that I want us to listen to. For those whom he foreknew, that means he knew you way back, even before you were born, he knew you. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's God speaking here. He talks about his son being the firstborn so that we would be like him, conformed into his image. God is wanting us to conform to his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is something that you can't do. We have to cooperate, but it's God who's going to do the conforming. And what happens is, as you spend time on that white sheet, as it were, you're becoming more and more like him. There is a secret to seeing that purpose of God. He needs our cooperation, but it only comes by revelation. God has to reveal himself. And the more you come and hunger after him, he begins to reveal himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, then we want to serve him. We don't just see his power and his majesty, but we see his love and care for us. It says those who love God. Not anybody, but those who love him. And the way you love him is by being with him. And the more you're with him, the more you love him. God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Then he also says, and if you keep my commandments, it's proof that you love me. Hand in hand, they go together. But we begin to see him for who he is. The Lord Jesus Christ In his high priestly prayer in John 17, in three places, he says that, Father, that we, they would be one just like we are one. And then he says it again, that he, they may be in me as I in them and you in me. See, God's plan and his purpose is that we are so meshed together, that we're so much tight, we are just like him. That we've become so much like him that the Father's in us and, and all this is being combined and we become that body of Christ. The head is not separate from the body. He is the head. We are just members of it. But we are in Christ and Christ in us. Do you think the Lord's prayer when he spoke that to his Father wasn't answered? It was. That prayer is answered. We just have to live in it. Now this wisdom, let me say something. This wisdom, don't think that every morning you get up, oh God, give me wisdom. Next day, oh Lord, give me wisdom. The more you spend time with him, and the more you pray and spend time with him, that wisdom is in us. It just now has a way to get out. And then when God calls us to do something, we know the wisdom on how to do it. We serve him out of love, not out of compulsion. You know, it's amazing what Paul says. And we would think he'd be proud or pompous to say this. He says, be imitators of me. 
how could he say that? He's not Jesus. Oh, wait, he is not. But, but because he is so, so much conformed to the image of Christ, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus. That's why he can say it. He is living the reality of the conformity. That very thing that he asks us to do, we are conformed into his image. And now we could say, be imitators of me. Now we see, and Paul says these words in Galatians, the reality, once you are conformed into his image, and it's a process, it's going to take us until we hit the grave. Some of us get in there sooner than others, you know what I mean? But he says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That Christ is living in me. It is now coming out. Christ Jesus, his nature, his character, and his wisdom come out, come out of us because we're spending time with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I live now. I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. Because of the great love with which he loved me, I can love him back. And now he makes us conform to where we're one with him. We're moving in that direction. Now that wisdom comes out. It exudes, comes out of us because of our relationship with him. And when we come to know this Lord, Things change. But all along, he is moving us in the direction which we need to go. And here's the last scripture I want to use. Listen to this scripture. It could sound confusing, but I'll let you know. It says, the words of the wise are like goads. And I'll explain that. And the masters of these collections of these words are like driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Listen. Oxen. In, when they used to, the farmers would have the oxen going around. He'd have this long pole, had a little sharp end to it. And when the oxen were going, slowing down in their path and they couldn't get going, the farmer would goad them, hit them in the back hindquarters and make them move, get going. Are you stalling out? You might find that you're going to be goaded on by God. Even Paul, when he said to Paul, he said this, it's hard to kick against the goad. In other words, it's hard to fight against my will. I want you to go this way, and I'm going to goad you. But these words also, listen to this, are like well-driven nails. I've read this in other uh, renditions of it, are like well-driven nails. You know what those nails are? It's a place to Nail you down on the path on which you are going. These words, words of wisdom, keep us going on the path and kept us on the path. That's how much he loves us because we are prone to wander. But God has a way to goad us and to nail us down. Are you spending time on the sheet? Are you spending time in his word? The more I read, the more I know him. The more I know him, the more I love him. It's something that he does. I said at the elders meeting last week, a couple of weeks ago, there's something naturally that spiritually, something spiritual that naturally happens. You spend time with him, you're going to know him. 
and the church grows and we as individuals, members of it, grow in the knowledge of him. And that changes everything. So remember, whoever's president, it doesn't matter. We got a purpose. Stay on the path or you'll be goaded and he'll nail you down and keep you where he needs to go. Let's pray. There's nothing and no one like you. There's no one wiser than you. And Lord, we want to find ourselves as those who are destitute unless we have your wisdom and that we would come and run to you, Lord. And when we run to you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the wisdom and understanding. I know it says in your word, Lord, that you give wisdom and from your mouth comes understanding and knowledge. And that's what we're here for, that we would know you and that naturally your wisdom and knowledge and understanding in our walk will come right from you and that we wouldn't depend upon ourselves. So we pray, Lord, that your will would be done in this church, that this church would be those ambassadors, Lord, moving in the direction that you'd have us to go in. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.